Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. It's that time of week again where my business partner, Sam Russ, takes over the show and interviews our guest. I hope you enjoy the show. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Sam Rust. Joining us today is Whitney Ward. Whitney is a highly driven entrepreneur who founded Intuitive Management Partners, a multifamily advisory and investment management firm that brings niche sector focus to ensure multifamily investors and developers mitigate risk and maximize asset value. As president, she oversees and leads all new business development initiatives, acquisitions, capital markets, and asset management. Whitney, it sounds like you do a little bit of everything. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you. I do. I have my hands full. (laughs) As I was preparing for this, I was looking on your website and cruising around your LinkedIn and just, man, you guys do a lot, almost every, anything that is post-transaction or even pre-transaction on multifamily. So as I was digging though, I noticed you played collegiate basketball at George Mason. And I'm sure that that played a role in your career after that. I was just curious, are there anything that any lessons that you pulled directly from your time at George Mason, whether it was in school or in the athletic program there that has aided you in your journey to this point? First, I just want to thank you, Sam, for inviting me and Whitney for his, you know, for inviting me out. So, you know, whenever you play sports, especially at the collegiate level, but even in high school, you're just competitive, you're driven, you already have a mindset that is accustomed to wins and losses. So I think thinking about my athletic career, it's prepared me to be able to get up every day and go to work and expect there to be some wins and expect there to be some losses and keep it moving. So I think it's perseverance is the biggest thing that you get from playing at the collegiate level. And you went from college and worked for a couple of big corporations. You were in the corporate life. How did you transition into real estate? I find it fascinating to learn what drove somebody to to make that change because you you worked in some fairly renowned, reputable organizations, looked like your career was heading in the right direction. What cause you to take a left turn as it were. No, it's funny you say that because when I left, everyone at those careers that I was at, they were like shocked because to your point, I was, I would get promoted fast and I was, you know, headed up the corporate ladder. But for me, it just came down to listening to podcasts like this one. My first podcast I ever listened to was Clayton Morris and him and his wife invest in single family rentals in the Midwest. I don't know if they're still doing the podcast. I don't listen as much anymore, but once I started learning about like passive income, financial freedom, real estate being an opportunity to get in without really having to go back to school and get a master's and spend all this money and it intrigued me. And so for me, after you know listening to podcasts and really getting my head in the books, I figured 30 years old, it was the time to take a chance and quit and just see what happens. And if the worst thing that could happen is I have to go back and I already know what that's like, but I don't know what this other entrepreneurial world is like. So let me give it a chance. Well, that's fantastic. It is interesting that 
story as a common thread, just being exposed through podcasts like this or books or some combination of that. There's so much material out there for people who want to learn and how to get into real estate. How did you land on multifamily specifically and then maybe even transitioning into intuitive and what you do there? There's a niche even within multifamily that you're servicing. Talk about that journey a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, real estate is so broad. I mean, that's what I like about it. You could be in commercial real estate, multifamily, residential real estate. You could do buy and hold. You can do long-term holds. You can do fix and flips. I mean, you can do a lot of different things. For me, it was the fact like Clayton Morris did single family rentals. But for me, I said, scalability wise, multifamily made more sense. A lot of the big initiatives right now is built for rent, but five years ago, that wasn't you know the language so much. And so when you talk single family rentals, you're thinking, okay, you get that one single family home. If you miss a tenant or that tenant can't pay, or you have a duplex and one of the tenants can't pay, that hit in that vacancy is so significant to the numbers. And I just felt that if I really wanted to scale my business, yeah, it might take a little longer, but I saw multifamily as an opportunity to really get in and make some headway. Now, as far as intuitive management goes, intuitive management partners, me and my managing director, we kind of founded this together. She came from the property management side, you know, property management, regional management. And prior to moving into my own space, I was a broker in the multifamily space. And so I was on the other side of the transaction, brokering the same deals that we're looking at today. And when we teamed up, it just made sense. We had the skill set and there's a ton of capital. There's a ton of investors chasing multifamily. Why not bring our expertise and kind of capture all aspects of it. So that's kind of that transition and how that happened. Now, Intuitive seems to be a combination of a couple different services. You have on one side, you talk a lot about property management and property level statistics and reporting, but then you also have this asset management piece. So how do you describe what Intuitive provides for an owner? Right. I love it. So you know, if you're in the multifamily space, you're coming to us unless it's something heavy in the construction space. That's the only hat we don't wear. And that's eventually going to be where we shift to as well. So right now we're working with a big Midwest developer and doing some punch list due diligence items for them. And so, you know, what we like to do is like, if you're an investor in the multifamily space and you're buying an asset, there's that aspect of due diligence that you're going to need unless you have boots on the ground already doing it for you. We're that team that you would come to to verify your underwriting assumptions, your due diligence, if you have the deal under contract and you need that property management perspective, that asset management perspective, that's where we come into play. And so the fact that we also are looking to acquire, it kind of ties it all in. So for us, we're our own in-house team. But you know, for third party, for investors that maybe they just bring the equity the capital market side and the asset management, but they need that property management level I, you're going to come to us because honestly, you know, we can project whatever returns we want, but you're only as good as your property management team when it comes down to it. And so that's kind of how we collaborate. And I think, like I said, being niche focused is important because it kind of like, if you needed a knee surgery, you're going to go to a knee doctor. You're not going to go to a hand doctor. You're going to go to a professional that specializes in something niche. And that's what we're focused on. It keeps us busy, but it also touches what we do touches every aspect of the multifamily space anyway. Some of our listeners might not be super familiar with the difference between asset management and property management. How do you describe that? I mean, in simple terms, I would say asset management for what I do is more focused on the capital markets, underwriting, setting benchmarks, 
the numbers side. And then property management is more on-site initiatives, ensuring that we have the right team in the right place from a maintenance and leasing perspective and more of the day-to-day leasing. So you got the asset management that's going to underwrite, deal in the capital markets, ensuring that the asset can perform from a number standpoint. And then you have the property management side that executes whatever that asset management comes up with. You mentioned building a team. And as we've grown our portfolio over the last couple of years, nothing is more indicative of the performance of a property as the leasing manager. You know, who is taking the lead on site? You guys as a third-party manager and doing some of your own in-house, you have a lot of experience, I would imagine, in hiring for those roles. What do you look for in a good community manager? Yeah, I mean, someone that obviously has kind of done it before from a community. Our portfolio, we're smaller right now. We're not as large as some of the big players out here that can take risk and maybe hiring a community manager that might be their first time managing. I wouldn't suggest that. We look for experience. We look for someone kind of local nearby the property that's familiar with the market and just someone that's hungry, that's willing to learn, willing to grow because we have the benefit for new hires to see growth. A lot of times, larger portfolio companies don't have that room for growth. They've already established more of their regional team and their corporate teams. And as we grow, we have that ability. And so that's what we're looking for. We're looking for someone with that hunger, that sort of entrepreneurial mindset to kind of grow and expand their career. And usually it works out. Do you have any special ways of compensating or rewarding folks who are that what you just described, they take initiative, they have that entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously on site, there might be different KPIs for you reach a different a certain occupancy, maybe there's a little bonus. But for us right now, it's more that the growth and the opportunity comes with like, you know, obviously what work you put in as a community manager, but then, you know, our ability to say, okay, well, we see you shining. We want you to oversee a couple of different portfolios. Now you're not on site doing the day-to-day, you're not overseeing the on-site team. So that's more our kind of, you know, initiative and value proposition to hirees. But, and then obviously, like I said, on-site, there's different KPI goals and that drive different bonuses depending on the property. You've seen a lot of real estate transactions. That's one of the fun things as a broker, I would imagine, is you get to walk a ton of different properties. You get to see the acquisition or the disposition side, depending on who you're representing. And then obviously, as with Intuitive, you guys are involved in a lot of different deals. In your opinion, what's the hardest part of pulling together a multifamily deal? It depends. Newer investors tend to have more trouble finding the equity and credible partners to even acquire a deal. If I was putting on my broker hat, the first thing a broker is going to want to know is who's your team and have they done this before kind of thing. So I've seen that be the biggest struggle. I would say, honestly, it's the deal structure, putting together the right team members, getting the equity, structuring the deal. That's what I've seen as being the biggest challenge. Yeah, that equity piece, certainly, I think it's easier today than maybe it's ever been. And you and I both being on the younger side, we haven't experienced maybe as many parts of the cycle as somebody who's been in real estate 40 years. I've talked to some grizzled veterans who talk about how hard it was to raise capital in the savings and loan crisis. And for us, it's tempting to look back and go, well, why wasn't everybody buying real estate then? It's like, well, because nobody wanted to buy real estate. (laughs) You had to beg almost literally to get dollars in the door. You know, as we're talking about property management companies, we utilize third-party property management at LifeBridge Capital. A lot of folks in this space do. You know, there's a lot of different flavors out there. There's large, you know, your Greystones, your AMCs, you know, your national brands. Then you have more of your mom and pop operators and everything in between. 
as an owner, because you own assets, what would you look for in a good third-party property management? I mean, you have your own, so you would use yourself, I would imagine. But if you're going into a new market or you're looking to maybe make a new partnership, what are some of the key things that you're looking for if you're buying 70s class C value-add type product? And I would say even with my own team in-house, we would still hire a third party if we were in a different market. Like we're looking at some stuff in the Tennessee market and we're not as, you know, we don't have the infrastructure there. But so I would definitely look for a local team. A lot of people look for a team that has done like a company that has done deals similar to what they're looking for. But I don't necessarily think you have to look for someone that's like okay, ABC property management has managed C units. Like I look more at the individual team members to see what their experience is because I think, first of all, every management company has started at zero at some point. And I think you could be overlooking some talent that might be more cost-effective, might actually be hungrier. So you might execute on your deal better. So I would look more specifically at who's going to be overseeing you know, the on-site teams and how that structure is within the property management. Like what systems are they using? How's their operations structure from, let's say everything's virtual, but we have a COVID crisis again, God forbid, and you have to go to a more, you know, what's that that strategy? Where's your operational manual? How is that done? What does that look like? So I dig into that more specifically, and that might be because we had to build all that and, and think about that. But you really want to think about what happens when things get kind of uncomfortable or get rustled a little bit? And what is that company looking to do when that happens? Because, I mean, it's not about if, it's about when is it, you know, when is something bad going to happen? So that's what I would look for. Do you have a pet system that you just love how you guys have implemented? It could be something really granular or something a little bit more macro, but anything that you just love about how you guys do business at any particular part of your company? You know, we streamline mostly like everything, like our communication with each other, as well as like, you know, just how we kind of track our deals, track, you know, our closings. I mean, everything is like streamlined. So, I mean, to the point where if I'm in the market, you know, I can pull up my app and upload some notes and that same note goes to my team members and we can, you know, control who has that. And and for me, like those systems are very important because as you're pursuing deals and brokers are sending you different deals, it can get kind of hectic. I mean, right now, I mean, there's a lot of deals flowing through the market. And if you don't have those streamlined systems, you can kind of get disorganized. And so for me, organization is very important. So our systems are the things I'm most proud of. What's a communication tool that you've used to streamline specifically? Like I know internally we use Slack. We also use Asana, a couple of those type of workflow tools. What do you guys utilize in your business? Monday.com, we really like that. And I've gotten real fancy with that to the point where I don't work for Monday.com, but you know, you can get <laughs> alerts and there's a good app that works and it's very intuitive and easy to use. But basic systems like we use Google, Google Drive. I mean, we do a lot of Google video, real page we use for our software. So we really like them because they have continued from a software and statistical standpoint to improve. And I really think they're kind of beating out the competition when it comes to analytics and different property management specific items. Oh, that's fantastic. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, one of the things is I was poking around your bio and your company's website, you talk in a couple of different places about disposition. 
And I think in our business, you know, we're always forward facing. For us, it's always about the next deal. But eventually, deals come to an end. And we've disposed of an asset this year. We may dispose of another one or two before the end of the calendar year. Curious for what you do on a disposition. What are some of your tips and tricks there when you're at the end of a deal life cycle? So for intuitive management partners, we're focused in, like you mentioned earlier, multifamily advisory and investment management. So what that means for us is like on the disposition side. So my company is a licensed brokerage firm in Georgia and in Maryland. So we have helped investors sell their asset and that preparation to sell is where I'm really talking about. So for example, I'm working a deal that I've been working. It's only 24 units. It's in Maryland. I've worked this deal since April of last year. The owner had probably, I'd say 80% of the residents weren't paying. They were past due on rent. The management company wasn't performing. They were overcharging for different things. They weren't attending to maintenance issues. So we had to come in. Initially, the ownership wanted us to come in and take over property management, but we're based in Atlanta, Georgia. It's 24 units. We just didn't have the infrastructure to do that. And it was going to cost the ownership too much, but we were able to you know, advise them on a maintenance strategy that would take them virtual, which limited their property management company from their full service support to only collecting rents, which saved money at the end and allowed us to transition and sell the asset. And so we're about to finally close at the end of July, but it's been a long road. But that's the kind of stuff that we do. So being able to have that brokerage background and then have my business partner with her property management background, it allows us to kind of get in on a lot of assets early on and take a peek under the books and really advise on how to move that deal from, you know, owning to disposition. What's your favorite part of real estate? My favorite? That's a really good question. Because, you know, there's so many days where you're just like pulling your hair out and you're like, what the heck? But you still wake up because you really like it. But it's like, well, what do I really like? For me, the thing I didn't like about corporate was there's a ceiling. But in real estate, there's no ceiling. Like, I like the fact that, you know, I wake up and through obviously relationships and networking, like there's no ceiling to where you could go. And I need that. I need that freedom, that flexibility. And I obviously love the potential, you know, unlimited income you can make in real estate. So I think for me, it's like, I got to be free. I have to have no ceiling. And so that's probably my favorite. That's excellent. I think sometimes it's important to step back and kind of distill down, why am I doing this? And why do I enjoy it as much as I do? I mean, there's certain aspects of it, the paperwork side that can be a little tiresome at times, but the deal making and the endless possibilities, like you just said, the freedom that comes with working in real estate is, is something not to take lightly, especially for you with a background in that corporate culture. It's got to be night and day difference now. What advice would you give to somebody who's just starting out? You've touched just about everything in real estate. You started out on the brokerage side, you've been on the service end, you're an owner, I mean, you've done it all. For somebody who's looking to break into multifamily investing, what advice would you give? most challenging thing has been, I came into this space with no real connections. Like I self-educated, self-taught myself a lot, probably 95% of what I know today. And then as I got later in my career, I started meeting the right people to put me in the right places to enable me to scale faster. I'm not going to sit here and say, get a mentor. Cause I think that Everyone says that, and I don't really know what that means, right? So like you can get a mentor, right? And they could be charging you something crazy and you don't even know if they're mentoring you, right? You know, it's like, 
what I would do is get an accountability partner or accountability coach and someone that you can tell your goals to, and they're going to hold you to those goals. Because I think on your own and, you know, I'm self-motivated, I played a sport. And so I was driven naturally, but I think you're not perfect. There's always something you're slacking on if you don't have someone that's holding you accountable. And so I would think, you know, getting an accountability partner early on in the business, someone you trust, someone that's, I don't even believe they necessarily have to do what you're doing, but, you know, someone that's driven like you that can hold you accountable to your goals. Well, Whitney, as we're getting close to wrapping up here, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? We've talked about a couple of different things, your background in college athletics that drive for success while acknowledging that failure is certainly a possible outcome. But what are some things or maybe the number one thing that's contributed to your success up to this point? To be honest with you, it's probably been God because I have no family that's done this before, right? So I've had to navigate and kind of figure things out on my own. And I failed a lot. And I think the reason I'm still in the business and still going is because of God. And then probably me after that, you know, just being able to keep fighting and get up every day when things get challenging and really be creative and figure out what it is that I need to be doing to succeed and reach my goals. So not to sound so, you know, (laughs) cocky or whatever, but yeah, I would say those two things. Well, before we let you go, Whitney, where can people find out more about intuitive management and contact you if they have further questions? Yeah, so you can check out the website, www.intuitivem for management, p for partners.com. And then also find me on LinkedIn. It's just Whitney Ward. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. So pretty sure you can find us pretty easily. Excellent. Well, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule, Whitney. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on another episode of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.